0: Oh, last thing that, that has benefited me is put this down.
1: Like,
2: Oh yeah. yeah. Stop reading the news.
0: Stop reading (sighs) the news. I mean, I'm not saying you can't trust it, but my goodness, my emotions so pulled, uh, when I, you know, one way or the other and, and I, you know, ah, just stop it. So I I do, I get home and I just stop reading, stop reading.
3: I find it. I don't know. Have you guys found it tough too? Like your, your friends are trying to, like text, there's text streams going on, you know, your friends who are at home and they're kind of texting along, just trying to keep each other entertained and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, I, Too busy. I can't, I can't participate in this right now. Yeah. You know, this isn't, isn't happening. And, and so uh, my wife even made the comment, I haven't been on Husker Max lately. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it's different if you are a business owner versus not a business owner during all of this, because right now we are in crisis mode trying to figure out what direction to go and what to do and make sure we're communicating with our staffs and you know, et cetera. Uh, and some people, you know, they're sending out these memes that say, man, our, you know, our grandparents went to war, you know, they were called to war. We're called to sit on our couch. We can do this. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, I can't even enjoy reading right now because it's really hard to be for me to even get into the story. Um, But I, I do feel like, uh, and like you mentioned earlier, Chris, I've maybe been thinking about this longer. Um, And I've sort of watched myself go through different stages and phases. Um, And I feel like I am sort of getting into a little bit of a routine now. Like, okay, this is the time of day I'm going to check updates on the news to make sure I know what's going on in my community. Um, Because I do feel like we have some responsibility to be paying attention to that. But then also, all right, now I'm going to spend, you know, this other time doing this task and this other time doing that task and just kind of creating a new routine that is so different for all of us than it ever has been before.
0: yeah. I'm realizing, yeah. I'm realizing that, you know, my kids, you know, Monday night, we would have ran to dance, to soccer, to trampoline and we would have been passing. Each other. we always would eat together. Right. But we'd have like a 15 minute meal and then we're, and then we're on our way. And I mean, I think what, for, for me, I'm like, man, we're not, this would be great. Like, like yeah. no sports activities. No, just let <laughs> the kids now, as soon as the kids can play to, with other kids again, then it would be wonderful. But, um, but, you know, as a culture, and, and imagine, and then they start thinking, because then you start doing the math on how long can we last on what we have in cash before we have to get to other reserves and all this kind of stuff, right? You go through that math, and I'm like, we, if we eliminate all that stuff, all the eating out, all the unnecessary stuff, it's like, holy cow, we can live for a really long time, and we don't have to have as much money. And then I start thinking, now, you know me, so, so it's probably not going to happen, but um, I'm like, man, I don't have to work as hard. <laughs> <Like maybe I'd laughs> <work
2: so hard. laughs> I think it's going to be really interesting to see what life changes, what really drastic life changes um, people implement into their daily lives after all of this.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. For sure. Yeah.
4: Chris, cool. I, I just want you to know too that uh, um, you know if you have one more child, you are above the <laughs> limit
1: yeah. or
4: number of people allowed in one...
1: That's right. We're home
4: what or what
0: would we, what we do? do? Hello and welcome to the Chris Wolf Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation about COVID-19 with my good friends and colleagues, Dr. Cheryl Chapman, Dr. Drew Bateman, and Dr. Kyle Cludy. And they shared, we shared really all of our perspectives on what's going on with our practices with this disease and uh, with the response to this disease. And so I, I felt like it was a really helpful conversation to me. I, I hope it is for you. And... And as always, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, and support those who support us. As optometrists, we're problem solvers. I always take the time to ask specific questions of my patients to ensure they don't have symptoms that they're not associating with their eyes or perhaps think is not something I can or will address. I found that asking the right questions to get the bottom of their needs is important. Questions like, how do your contact lenses feel at the end of the long day? What time of day do you take your lenses out? What time of day do you wish you could take your lenses out? On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your contacts? Questions like these allow us to solve problems for our patients that they may not know how to tell us about, resulting in happier patients and more demonstrable value for our services. It also keeps our practice at the forefront of a patient's mind with new technology. And they hear about that technology first from us, which is what I think they expect. Check out the show links for how Cooper Vision is helping us be proactive with these types of conversations. You know, one of the reasons that I wanted wanted you guys to come on today was because I see a lot of, this is, this is, I know people have said this, this is just insane what's going on right now and I know you've all we've all discussed this before but um I'm seeing people who on on these chat groups and uh email chains who have these really wildly successful practices that are laying people off I mean Mm -hmm. they go from this from one week being totally normal even even then they go through a week of kind of ramping down following C D C recommendations. Not even necessarily a week. Really we, we got those recommendations, I believe, on Wednesday. Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. It was
2: Tuesday night. Yeah. Right before Tuesday, the AOA. Tuesday conference.
0: night. And um and then now all of a sudden they're they're laying people off in mass. Mm-hmm. I mean it's just like it's this stuff that I've just never seen before. And I just can't wrap my mind around it. So I'll just open it up there and, and leave it see what, what you guys want to talk about.
3: Yeah. I, I think it has been crazy because Thursday you start seeing people say, okay, we're, we're going to follow CDC guidelines. We're going to, we're going to cut back. It's going to be emergency care. Um, and then Friday, the same person's like, we're laying everybody off on Monday. And yeah, I think it comes down to people. I mean, one, I don't know if you guys have experienced this with your staff, but when we started talking about this, we had staff members that were like, Hey, we understand what's going on. We want there to be a clinic to come back to work at when we get done, um, when this all changes. So, you know, you, we trust you. That's why we like working here. Um, just let us know. Keep us posted. And and I, I my get, best guess is that they've had some of those same conversations and they're moving into a mode of, okay, we're going to, we got to protect the business so that the business is here and ready to go um, when we get out the other side of it. And we're going to take it from that manner instead of, instead of kind of the slow, the slow cut back and see, you know, where we're at. Um, that's my best interpretation of what's happening.
4: I hope it's that. Um, but what I'm seeing is it seems like it's more drastic than that at times. You know, when you go from, like Chris said, you know, one day where it's business as usual, the next day, maybe a little bit of slowdown, the next day, uh, like I saw one example, uh, nine staff members just done, you know, yeah. uh, in and out and, or, uh, associate doctors as well being, oh, yeah. um, completely cut. So, mm. um, I mean, I hope it's that mindset of, okay, we're just going to do this collectively. And this is a group decision, not a, just come in and sorry, guys, we're, you know, we're panicking because it seems like such a rash decision. It seems way too knee to me.
3: Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's totally, I, I guess to clarify, I don't know that it's totally a group decision uh, outside of the owner has been having conversations and has somehow gotten themselves comfortable with the idea that people are understanding and, mm-hmm. and then making the rash decision. I, I, yeah I agree I don't think it necessarily is a group decision that, that that's taking place for sure.
2: Well, I think some people are just doing it out of um, panic and stress, and I think they're also seeing it as an option that's being suggested, you know if they're reading through um, online discussion forums or threads, uh, or they're seeing uh, kind of articles come through that say, I mean I've seen it I've seen five or five or six different articles that say okay, here's what you need to do to survive financially. And one of the steps listed is lay off your staff so they can get unemployment. Um, I think there's a lot of problems with that though. And
0: I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I can't fault anybody, Cheryl, for doing that because uh, you never know what specific situation they're in. Oh, absolutely. And And, you know, their mm. business philosophy, a lot of people have been advised to, you know, take, take massive loans and, you know, mm you know, you don't, everything is about cash flow. Everything is about, but, um, but so I can't fault them for any of that kind of stuff, but it's just seems so because of that, you know, I think, I think you, you talked about fear and you talked about, um, and I I want to kind of get into some of that because as I take a step back and, and watch some of these, uh, the blog posts and, you know, the, the first thing I think is, uh, and many of you have heard me talk about this, I'm sure. But it's this idea that like, we're all headed in the, in the same direction. You know, we, We're first of all, just as any consumer is, we're at a disadvantage because we are not experts in infectious disease.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And because of right. that, we have to trust people who we've never met, who in general, by the way, as I, I thought about this today, In general, I would have to go back and look at studies. But if I were to ask you, do you trust government? You would probably say, I trust my local government pretty well. I trust my state government pretty well. I trust my national government not so much, right? Hmm. I mean, and yet, we're sitting here with our state governments following what the national government is doing. And our local governments following what the state government is doing.
3: I think, so, it depends on what, I think it depends on what you're talking about, though. I mean, I don't trust our local government to have any kind of handle on epidemiology or disease. I mean, the, the CDC, the and that's what I think there's a fault in this idea of like <clears throat> government. There are certain things that government does have a purpose for, and one of those sure as heck better be epidemiology disease those kind of things. Cause my well, city isn't going to know anything about that. My state. Yeah, I mean.
0: Correct. And, and I'm not making a point that we would trust our cities or our states, um, to do to know those things. My, my, mm-hmm. my global point is that we tend as a, as a culture, we tend not to trust the federal government very well. I mean, if you look at like, and, and this isn't a trust question, but if you look at the approval sure. rating of the president, the approval rating of Congress, for example, sure. Sure sure sure. It is co- consistently, you know, 40s is bad, you know, is high right now. 30s and 20s is what I've seen in the past. So so um my, I guess my point is I'm not saying we don't trust the CDC. Uh it's just like all of a sudden, all of a sudden people are making these decisions where we have a disease that we've known about for 3 months we I mean I can read I can read opinions about multiple different infectious disease experts that, Mm -hmm. that think multiple different things. Yeah. And we, we have literally taken our, and again, I want to, I want to talk about this and I'll say this clearly is that I am not, not following CDC recommendations, which we'll talk about. I'm not advocating for that. I'm also not saying that we shouldn't trust the CDC or I'm some conspiracy theorist. And I'm not saying that, you know, um, that the economy is more important than people. If you know me, you know that one person, my, my belief is that one person is infinitely more important than, uh, than like all the beautiful, cute puppies in the world, right? Like, like <laughs> it's infinitely more important. But what I'm, what I'm trying to wrap my mind around is this idea that we have already lopped off 30% of our economy mm-hmm. um, for a disease that we don't know a ton about. And I, and some part of me thinks it's because we don't know a ton about like, I just, I'm not, I'm not grasping it. So, so like, like Drew, you've read some studies, Cheryl, I know mm-hmm. you've read some studies. Yeah. Um, yeah. what's going on?
2: Uh, so, so first of all, I would just like to, um, comment on, you know, you talk about trust, trust of the government. Um, Think about the general public and where does their trust lie? I think that they're looking towards healthcare providers and what our opinions are. Uh, and so I do think it's really important for the healthcare community in general, where it's whether it is optometry or chiropractic care or dentistry or fill in the blank. I think it's really important for the healthcare community in general to show that we are taking this seriously. Um, because a lot of them are trying to follow, trying to figure things out, trying to follow the lead of somebody. And who are they going to believe? They're going to believe a doctor that they have a relationship with that they already trust their opinion of. Um, so that I just, I just kind of want to throw that out there, kind of going back to um, what you were just talking about. Um, but with regards to current studies, so I think I probably... Um, I mean, I know through my discussions with you, Chris, that I've been thinking about this longer than you have. Uh, before the call, I actually just went back on my Amazon order history to kind of track my thought process. Uh, and I think it was when the AOA first look email came through that first reported uh, conjunctivitis in patients with coronavirus. and I looked back at that that was February sixth um, and or maybe February 5th, something like that. It was February 6th when I first ordered um, extra gloves and put up extra sanitization units in my office. Um, Yeah, so, you know, I've been watching this really closely since that time period. Uh, For those of you who know my husband, Tom, uh, he works in business, and one of the things that he does is he measures a lot of metrics um, throughout different cities uh, and stats. And so I just have conversations with him all the time about the stats. And to me, it's been quite obvious that if the whole nation didn't take really great measures, that we were going to look just like China. And then it goes to Europe and you see what's happening in Europe. If we don't take measures, we're going to look just like Europe. And so I'm super frustrated that so many people here in the United States are still acting like this is no big deal. You know, it really breaks my heart when I see all these kids on the beaches in Florida not taking this seriously. Um, you know, and that's, that's why this is going to be such a big problem here. That's why we're going to look like Italy and not like South Korea. Um, you know, I watched the numbers. I've looked at, um, the numbers that are being reported at lunchtime. United States, as of, uh, lunchtime today was at 22,000 cases. A couple hours later, I looked at it right before this call. We're at 24,000 cases. And that's just what's being tested. Um, and you know, well, there's not a lot of testing. I-
0: I saw Cheryl, I, w- I want you to comment on Did you see that? I, I saw a little blurb come up on my I hadn't. I didn't get a chance to, to dig into it deeper, but I saw that in our state, they're allowing it to be a clinical diagnosis now.
2: Yeah. I just read that today so, as well.
0: So, so that, that to me seems like a really big challenge because let's say, so I, I'm not saying it's not good. I, I saw that. I saw that, uh, that reaction, Cheryl. <laughs> I, um, no,
2: I'm just looking at my phone. Oh,
0: <laughs> the, I'm not saying it's not good. It's just it just confounds the issue. Like we now have this disease that is so bad that we that nobody can get it except that we don't really know what its mortality rate. And I I have I'm not saying that that we do know. But what's going to happen when we now have an, a, the ability to make a clinical diagnosis as opposed to a laboratory diagnosis? We're going to see those. We're going to see that ramp up, and then we're also going to see that like if if I if I test. Kyle and I test Drew with the test, and then you and I just get a clinical diagnosis. Then we go go into quarantine for fourteen days. We all four come out, and I think, oh, great, I'm fine. I, I got herd immunity. Now I can provide herd immunity, and everything's great. My family's going to be protected. Because, but how do I know I actually had it? Great. Like you can't you know. don't-
3: Well, that's part of that's that's part of the huge problem for sure. And that's when you go back and look, like the other countries that that uh, Cheryl's referencing, you know, and you look at a country like South Korea that has their first diagnosis the same day that the United States has their first diagnosis, and they immediately jump into testing. What was it? I I I don't remember the exact number, but I mean they were doing thousands of tests a day. They were
2: doing twenty thousand tests a
3: day to get Mm -hmm. an idea of what was being impacted from the start. Mm -hmm. And and I have been talking about with people too. Um, like you just said, we don't know what the mortality rate is because we have no idea how many people here actually are. And I'm taking it serious. This isn't to say not to take it seriously, but we don't know if that top number is that there's already 70,000 people that have been died, you know, that have it or a hundred thousand people. Cause we aren't testing and getting data that gives us strong information.
2: Well, Drew, your mortality rate is going to be uh, closely linked to the availability of health care. So if you look at the numbers, right, I'm, right. I'm looking at them right now. In Italy, they have 10,000 closed cases which have had an outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, their numbers right now, 56% of those have recovered. Mm-hmm. 44% were, resulted in death. Uh, right. Now, alternately, if we go to, I've got the numbers right here. If we go to South Korea, their current numbers um, they've had 2,700 cases that have had an outcome. 96% of those recovered, 4% resulted in death. Right. So part of that is skewed because uh, they, since they did such mass testing, they've tested people who were not symptomatic. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of that's because Italy's healthcare system is crumbling. Right.
0: Totally. Well, the other part is that their culture is different. You know, we yeah. shake hands, they kiss cheeks. There are a lot of, from, from what I've read, they're the oldest, the oldest nation. Yes. That's what I've read as well.
3: If I understand the statistics correctly in Italy, um, a fairly significant percentage of their people fall in the 20 to 50 year old range that are being hospitalized and, and, uh, needing care. And so the narrative on the elderly person is starting to change in terms of who's being impacted by this. It is. Yeah,
0: certainly if that, if that's the case, it, I think people will take it more seriously. You know, if, again, I think that's just the culture. You think, well, if you're you're 80 years old, something's going to get you. I mean, you know, unfortunately, that's...
2: I know. I hate it when I hear that. Um, But when my husband and I were talking this last weekend about deciding, because I think we were, I don't know, I I think I was probably the first office in Nebraska to close. Yeah, probably. Um, And we were talking about, should we close, should we not close? And Tom said to me, what if one of your kids ends up dying? Yeah. I have a daughter with asthma. You know, this is, it was a hard decision, but it was an easy decision. I, I did not want to have any regrets.
3: You know, I reached out to Chris, I think was that Thursday, Chris, that this I think Thursday? I texted you. Was Last it this Thursday? Thursday. Or it was Wednesday or Thursday I, that I said at the end of the day that I said, it's starting to really bother me about taking this home. I, this is really starting mm-hmm. to make me nervous Hmm. in the in the clinic for staff for my family and those kind of things and that's what really that was the day we already were kind of in the process of of starting to make the change but that was the day we were like that we're changing the next two weeks we're changing this and we're gonna see how this goes so I I hear you're saying Cheryl completely
4: that's what uh I agree Drew that's exactly what hit me too you know I feel like I've been slower Uh, to understand all of this. I think that's just my personality of taking information pretty slowly. But um, I feel like in the last 24 to 48 hours, it's been much more of that response. Like I had um, uh, two patients just yesterday, and they were just patients that were more urgent type patients that I needed to see at my practice. Um, but even them, you know, they needed to be seen and we needed to take care of some things for them. But there's still that thought, uh, and then that insecurity when they left, I was, you know, one of them, uh, she's a nurse in a facility that, uh, doesn't need that there. So, you know, I thought, gosh, that would just be, would be horrible. You know, if, if I had her, she did and, and, you mm-hmm. know, and my wife's pregnant and, you know, all those well, <laughs> things that, well, thank you. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I I think same here as the last few days, it's really hitting home. The reality of
2: it. I think it's really interesting when you look at the Facebook feed and you see the way, um, the sentiment has shifted even (laughs) in just the last week. Um, doctors who were very gung ho about, uh, saying things like, Oh man, I'm seeing more kids than ever. These kids are out of school. Wow. We're busy. Uh, you know, kids, young people don't get it. So it's fine to see the kids, stuff like that. Uh, and they're closed now, they're closing their doors, they're getting more nervous about it. Um, I think one thing that's really important to say is, um, it's not a time to lay blame on who is slower to act. It's not a, a time to judge people on if they weren't taking it seriously a week ago. Um, and to just say, you know, it's, it's very important for uh, optometrists and other healthcare providers in general to really you know, stand up for each other and be collaborative. To figure out how we can best manage the situation moving forward.
3: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I wouldn't even say so much that it's you know, it's that people aren't, weren't taking it seriously a week ago. I, I think it's more the case that you know people react to things differently, and um, and I think that's fair. I mean, you know, there's people that try to. I mean, your your point about the real the first time this was on my radar was. I mean, really on my radar, I don't know, it was probably three or four weeks ago and it was still a, a problem of elsewhere. We, mm-hmm. we didn't have much to, to know about it and, you know, I just, I saw it kind of come up. I've, I mean, I, I can't say, but, you know, when it was really on my radar, maybe right before, so probably two weeks ago where I started thinking, yeah, this is probably going to be a problem. Well, I mean, you've had a lot more time to process this than I have. Or, or that anybody else has. I'm not, I'm not defending myself. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that anybody else than most people have, you You are certainly on the the forefront of this. Um, within our profession.
3: Let me, let me interject to you there to go back to what you're saying at the beginning, where Cheryl, where you said that we need to be an example and, um, and healthcare providers need to help spread that message. And, and I would extend that back to that's what you did. Um, I mean, I was paying attention last week and the week before, but uh, really, really, kind of funny was then I saw your message on ODs on Facebook randomly in a group saying I'm closing my office and I texted Chris right at that point in time and uh, well I texted you first and then I texted yeah. Chris was like, Do you see Cheryl's closing? And he's like, I'm talking to her on the phone right now. And then and then we got a chance to talk. And so that also leadership to help bring it to the forefront because yeah, it it it's something I was like Chris too. Uh yeah it's this could become something but I don't know what, and kind of slower to, to make a decision. So
2: what has, again, I would tell you, my husband and I would talk about this a lot here in the house. And uh, what's had me really nervous about this virus the whole time is the incubation period. Right. We as a society are not used to something having such a long incubation period. Uh, And so, you know, as we talk about it, one point that he mentioned as well, is he said, um, everybody wants to have like, one more last thing that they do before Mm -hmm. they decide to stop you know and we were talking about that with spring break because (laughs) you know everybody's going on spring break it's like okay i'm going to take that one last trip and then i'll quarantine i'm going to do this one last shopping trip and then i'll quarantine and it's like you just can't pick that because all of these infectious people are walking around for five days before they start having symptoms Mm -hmm. and so you can't you can't wait until you see a lot of it because by the time you see a lot of it, the growth is exponential. Yeah. And so I I guess I'm really heartened drew um, to hear you say that uh, that made an impact on you because everyone's saying, well, how can I make a difference if I'm the only one closing? Well, I guess I was the only one closing on Monday, but I guess maybe I did make a little bit of a difference.
3: I would definitely, I would, I would definitely say you did. I mean, that, that was that was well worth it um if it pushes the rest of us that can do it to to make a decision so um yeah, thank you for that and then I don't know, Chris had wanted me to 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 kind of bring up the u k study projections um it's been a few days now, so i don't i I don't remember all of the specifics of it, but have you guys had a chance to kind of read through that and and just kind of see? what that was talking about, kind of how this, this could look on a grand scale. And it's, it is alarmist, so I don't – there's a lot of factors. <laughs> this that, is a
2: pandemic, Drew. I <laughs> yeah. think that it is a little alarm. I think the yeah. whole situation sure. <laughs> is alarmist.
3: Sure. I mean, it, it's alarmist from the standpoint of I think there are some other factors because it's running basically off of pure numbers where – There are a lot numbers. of assumptions
0: of diseases we already know. And Right.
3: Right. Or or accuracy because, um, again, not because it makes it any less serious. And that's what I've been telling everybody is not that it makes it any less serious, but there could be a heck of a lot more of, I mean, there is, I'm going to say there is a heck of a lot more of us that actually have this and are carrying it right now. And those numbers aren't being counted. So then therefore it skews how this thing looks. But, um, you know, that, that also, as I was looking into it and kind of reading things, I mean, that really, that also really opened open my eyes up more again to at least start at least do more digging and more uh, studying of trying to figure out what the heck is going on and and what we need to be spreading as a message
0: when uh, and again forgive me you know I, i i'm just taking again i'm just trying to i'm trying to wrap my again cheryl i've had less time to wrap my mind around this than you have um and I've been trying to do this and I've been trying to step back and say, okay, well, why? I mean, if we we almost have this prophecy right now that, um, that can never fail. So if the whole idea is to flatten the curve um, and th- there's two questions you really have to ask and two things you have to assume is, the first one is that the, um, the measures in place to uh, self-quarantine and to self-social distance and all those, those sorts of things are going to be as effective to bring the total number of, of cases to a level where we have hospital beds for them. Right. And so, you know, if that curve is going up and it's flat enough, we're assuming that those measures are going to be enough. But we can't know that. We, we can't know that we're not going to get there anyway. And we also can't know that, let's say we flat th- flatten this curve. What we have to realize, and what I don't think many people are really talking about, is that we're all going to have to get this disease. I mean, uh, the studies show us, or, or the studies I've read, are something like 87%. And this is what the Drew, Drew study on the UK was talking about, is that essentially over the next 18 months, 87% of us are going to have it, and then essentially, or have gotten it. Or died from it, and um, and then you've got your herd immunity. So what you're hoping essentially to do is that is that curve is flat for so long, but you can't know that that you're not going to hit here, and you also can't know that if we go through these really radical quarantining, um, like is, is being advocated, like the when people say shut it down, you know, essentially what you what you're hoping to have is is this, and then it goes down. But what happens in two to four weeks? when you've shut it down and let's let's assume we did it early and let's assume that you know we we taper that peak off and now two to four weeks go by and we we relax it and and then it, what's it going to do well it's going to shoot back up again and so it's going to shoot back up again what are you going to do you're going to tap, tap it down and then it's going to shoot back up again once you once you relax this and um and so like where's the end of that like where where is the end of all of that and Um, and how, how do you make it, I mean, and then the other thing in the self-fulfilling prophecy is let's say it doesn't work and we do all this social distancing and everybody quarantines themselves so much and we still don't have enough beds, right? And like, like we're still don't have enough beds. And then what, what does everybody say? Well, geez, Chris, you didn't shut your office soon enough, right? Like it it becomes, it becomes, I don't think
2: the blame will all lie on you, Chris. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but the point is, is that, uh, and again, I, you know, I, again, we are following CDC guidelines. We have incorporated telehealth. I think within this next week, we're going to have the majority of our encounters will be uh, remotely. Um, But my point is that it's, it's a, it is a prophecy that those people who say you got to do all these things and then we do it and we don't see much then they win, right? Like, not, I'm not saying they win or they lose, just they were right. And if, if it doesn't work and we don't have enough beds, then they're right. And if we do it and it works and we have enough beds and we let everybody else out, then we're back in the exact same spot. So in my mind, it's like, how long do we need to go? How long will the public actually go with these social distancing measures, laying people off, being on unemployment, Uh, you know, how, how far does the market go? You know, how, how far economically do we get into this? And before people are just like, you know, look, it's not worth it anymore. I'm going out, I'm going out and getting a job or I'm going to open my business, you know, come stop me. I mean, I don't know. Have you have, my point of all of this is to say, have we actually ever stopped? Has anybody ever stopped to think about this? Like this all goes wrong, right? This all goes wrong. We are completely wrong with our projections. Uh, if, that, if that can be the case, what happens in it in three months, six months, a year? What does it look like?
2: Okay, so there's a couple, a couple things to be thinking about here. Uh, first, of, first of all, uh, I think it's wise to try and err on the side of caution. Um, so we have the advantage of not being the first country to go through this. We can very easily look at the examples in front of us and see what the trends look like. So, do I have an answer to what things are gonna look like in China three months from now? No. But whatever happens there, we should be able to use that information to learn from. Okay, so that's gonna be helpful um, for us to be able to study the case examples that run before us. Uh, Second of all, there are so many smart scientists uh, and so many smart professionals working on vaccines right now and I have a lot of faith that they will be able to come with, up with vaccines and they will um, try to create some of that, you know, you keep referring to this herd immunity. Why does herd immunity have to happen through exposure?
1: No, it Why doesn't. can't it
2: happen through a vaccination? So I think it's really important to, you know, quote, flatten the curve. Um, I don't think that it's wise to say, well, we're all going to get it anyway, so let's just let us all get it um, so we can all have herd immunity. because that's um, you know, when I think about things like, my parents are in their 70s. Does it matter to me if my parents catch this? Yeah, it matters. And I know, I know you guys have older parents too. Um, I strongly believe that, you know, saving lives is of the utmost importance right now and saving as many lives as we can until we have other ways to combat this.
0: Well, I guess Cheryl, I guess I didn't ask the question correctly because I, I don't disagree with anything that you just said. What I'm saying is a thought experiment, right? Beyond the what, because, like I said, when we open this up, I, I, I have to trust the infectious disease guys. I have to trust they're very smart. I don't. I've asked myself this as well. I don't want my kids to die. I don't want my parents to die or my grandparents. Of course grandpa not. To die, right. Um, so, so I'm agreeing with all of that. That's uh, um, that's not um, that's not the the thought experiment I'm trying to have. The thought experiment I'm trying to have is if if it's the case. So, most of the projections I've seen is that it's going to be 18 months before we get in a vaccine. And so, in the next 18 months, like let's assume that one year goes by, and we do exactly what we're doing now. And it was, and, and we were able to bend the curve down and, but, um, but we were only able to bend it down so far. And then we still wind up with these, you know, you squash it and then you let it back into the community and then you squash it and you wind up with these, these people that die or, or let's even assume that people don't die and we achieve what we wanted to achieve. And we get 18, I mean, first question is probably where's the end point in that? And second question is let's say we achieve it what is the long term outcome is there a potential that the economy is so fractured that so many people for so long wind up dying or you know they're they're that we can't help other people do the things we were helping them because we don't have the resources for it because we were so intent on this one thing so like let's say that we can squash it down to a level of 4,000 people die from it in the United States. And yet in a year we have, you know, a million people dying because we can't get the, we don't have the resources for medications or for other, you know, whatever the next thing is from heart disease or diabetes or, you know, you name it. So I, I guess that's what I'm trying to have the thought experiment about is we are, we are severely damaging our ability to care for people are we so could it be the case that we're severely damaging the our ability to care for the people in a year in order to in order to get around this this disease
2: well i think there's definitely going to be uh, repercussions that we will see unfold um i was talking to my brother about this and he said he asked me if i thought it was going to be like the great depression all over again and i said even if it gets to that point economically I don't believe it would last as long as the great depression did because the world just moves faster now. And so I think whatever happens economically, we will bounce back from fast because things now are just, you know, always happening at lightning speed. Um, so I have a lot of faith that, you know, humans are very adaptable creatures. And I think there's going to be a lot of innovation uh, and creativity that sparks from all of this um, change and all of this uncertainty. Uh, and, I think that we will see some really surprising things come out of this that allow us to persevere.
3: I I think I agree with, so I, the answer is nobody knows. we have never faced something like this with a time period of technology. Um, economies built the way economies are built currently. I mean, we just, we haven't there, you know, I think I saw somebody say the last time something like this was the Spanish flu. I mean, that right. There was, you know, compare what was going on then versus what's going on now. So I think it's hard to say in a year what happens if, yeah, I, I, I've had those same thoughts, Chris, like, geez, so we save, you know, we save all these people, especially after reading that UK study. I'm like, so we save all these people. And then like, what does the, but what does that leave at the end of all of it? What's, what's the difference? What, how do we get out of it? And I think I mean, the only thing I can think of in my head is we're going to see some things we have never seen before in terms of how, how we come up with new economic ideas or new economic relief, or who knows if it's people just saying, hold on, I know we've never done this before, but this is stopping for a certain period of time and we're coming back or, or whatever, tack it on to the end, we'll figure it out. But the challenge with this, I think, compared to, you know, other downturns in business. I mean, the Great Depression was, was downturns in business that essentially drove that. This yep. is this is not, I mean, on. the crazy thing about this for everybody is is a lot of these small businesses, I mean, ourselves included, like, that's what I was talking to my banker about deferring loans is, because um, he's, he's a good friend of mine and we talk numbers a lot. And he's like, geez, you guys are cranking along, you know? And then I'm like, yeah, but next week we're not. You know, and he's like, "I know that's crazy." Like, so this is different, and it's going to take different ideas by economic leaders, by banks, by because they're tied into it. Everybody is. They can't fill us with a new optometrist taking our spot in the strip mall. They can't go find a new restaurant to come into the restaurant spot that had to close down. No, it's just they're they're better money. Their better money is writing it out, hoping we can open back up and getting going. It's not scraping money right away and and making profit. And then we're going to go find another optometrist to come into this spot. So it's, there's no answer. It's different. It's just completely different.
2: I think it's really good too, to uh, maybe put a little shout out to the AOA for having optometrists included uh, in that bill that was passed for the telemedicine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that we need to make sure that optometrists have the resources that they need um, to do that because I think that's going to be what helps different clinics write this out a little bit longer. For sure. And I think too, it's going to be really interesting to see what type of telemedicine opportunities continue uh, after this is over um, and how many clinics continue to use telemedicine to help provide care to their patients.
0: So, so I think that's, yeah. that's kind of the adaptability. Neither of you answered my question, by the way. <laughs> what was your question, Nobody Chris? wants to participate in the thought <laughs> experiment that I'm offering. But that's okay. We can move on. Maybe,
3: no. maybe okay. So maybe
2: if I say this, Chris, I do think that there will be second waves and third waves and whatever, mm-hmm. um, and I think each of them will be smaller. Um, and I think that we will know more about that from what happens in China and Europe as they go through their you know, second and third waves. Does that answer your question?
0: Well, uh, what I'm trying to have is what's called a pre-mortem and a pre-mortem says when everybody is focused on moving one direction in a boardroom or as, as experts and, and everybody's saying it doesn't, it doesn't behoove me to be the naysayer in that group. It doesn't mm-hmm. behoove anybody who is disagreeing with the, with the main group of, of being in that group. So if if we were on a board together and you all have, I think you've all been on the NOA board with. Mm-hmm. You know, with me or without me. And, um, and if the, you can see exactly, think about the board. It moves in a direction. Once, once mm-hmm. a couple people maybe speak up, then pretty soon everybody's moving in the same direction. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do here is I, I see everybody moving in the same direction. And again, I don't know enough to not move in that direction. What I'm trying to say is that's the direction we all think is the best direction, but what if it isn't the best direction? What does no, everything, asking, yeah what does everything look like in one year not not whether or not it is the right direction. I'm not saying yeah. it isn't. I'm just saying let's stop now, everybody tell me what went wrong in a year, Like, mm-hmm. tell me right now in a year when we look back, what will will have gone wrong with going that direction
3: oh yeah, no, i get, I get what you're asking because I mean if you read the u k study um you know and of course everybody you feel like you got to give your disclaimers because my thoughts of family members being sick, dying, those kind of things. We all agree with that. I'm going to keep Mm -hmm. moving in the direction that the herd's going. But if you read the study, uh, I think the first, the first very, this is a very summarized synopsis was do nothing, treat it like the flu, except we don't have vaccinations. Uh, In the United States, we lose 4 million people in three months. It's run its course. Essentially um, we've got somewhat of a herd immunity at that point in time. Um, And we come out the other side of it in three months and figure out what you know, what's left, which by the way is I can't, I can't remember what the numbers were, but how many times the civil war, how many times world war two people would be dying. Um, second option was, and that
0: projection though was based on, on some assumptions.
3: Oh, for sure. I mean, they're, okay. I mean, they're trying to use some data, um, assume data. Um, option two is uh, try the self distancing thing. So you can, in the United States alone, you can trim that in half So we lose 2 million people. It uh, peaks in three weeks, basically. And we, um, I think it was also six months or three months or something that that essentially it probably infects everybody we know what we're dealing with at the end and come out of it. So if you look at it from the whole what you're bringing up about the economy, well, three to six months, people can probably, we can figure that out and go from there. But we've lost two to four million people at that point in time in our our country. And um, so then the third one is exactly what you're talking about separate ride this wave for the next year till vaccinations come along uh what's that do to our economy and being able to provide services for other people and the question is nobody knows i mean we we don't it crashes the economy as we know it certainly i mean there there will have to it'll either crush the economy people are going to have banks people in charge are going to have to make unprecedented decisions of um of literally Printing money, stringing things along, changing the concepts of how we have gone about business in our in our in our country for for years. And who I don't I mean I don't know what that looks like. That's not my that's not my world to deal with in in terms of finances and 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 international economics. But um, you know I, I think you're you're just trying to do your best to figure out what in your moral judgment allows you to to keep going and and like you said we're adaptable so we'll we'll have to figure it out at that point in time too it does
1: change oh go ahead Kyle
4: yeah I I think um it's a tough uh, part of me wants to figure out I have that same impulse Chris is like I really want to just know what Is it going to be, how long do I have to do this? How long do I have to strategize and plan? Uh, As well as, um, what are we really, um, what in the end is going to suffer more? I think that's the question. Is it going to be uh, people or the economy or is it going to be both? Like, is there some strategy that we have? I think this is what you're saying, Chris. Is there some strategy that we're going to follow that is actually going to allow most the most people to die and the most effect on the economy like that's that's yeah. what worries and what that's we want to follow worries is me
0: yeah the one that the, the the one that you want to follow is the one that's going to have the least impact on humans without yeah. the, the impact on the economy yeah yeah and it, we can't right. know we
4: can't know but we can't we can't know and, and part of me you know i i saw um ben sass uh he had a good uh he was speaking I think it was before the uh bill passed or when it was it was being it was uh in the Senate um, for the some of the some of the cash that's getting you know plugged into the system and uh he was just asking people to to slow down and I think that's really good advice i are you know we kind of started off the the conversation today about some of the knee jerk reactions or some of the quick reactions i should shouldn't say knee jerk because that's a little negative or maybe mm-hmm. condemning but um, some of the really uh, quick reactions that people are taking. And I think it's good advice to, because this is something that none of us have ever faced. I don't, I don't know uh, if anybody, you know, historically have, have faced such a situation where, um, you know, where we have, two th- we have two main threats to not just our economy and everything, or to our, um, to our society, but really when I look at it personally, my the I have one threat. I have a health threat, right, to me and my family and uh, my patients that I have to respond to. And I also have an economical threat. And so um, it's hard to, you know, we just don't know. Like when you uh, look at all these models, you can get overwhelmed with them all. Uh, I think the wisest thing to do is just, like I said, slow down. And that's that's, you know, when you get down to it, like we each have to decide. How do we lead our families? How do we lead uh, our, our team, our, our business? How do we lead our patients? Um, and my strategy, really, that I've come up with the last couple of days is, um, you know, I'm going to take this a week at a time, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to take uh, any projections that, do, whether it's doomsday or whether it's super, you know, uh super great, optimistic, uh, positive, you know, Hey, we got a new vaccine or anything like that. I'm, you know, uh, I've tried to slow down and read, uh, uh slow news, uh, as Cal Newport calls it, slow news is news that actually has to be edited before it's published. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, like so a re- <laughs> yeah. So that basically negates everything we're talking about, but, um, <laughs> But yeah, it's just we have to assess it day by day, um, and no more than week by week. Yeah, try um, so to communicate that with my family and with uh, uh, my team at work, and uh, they know that they understand that. That the best could be, hey, May one, we're back, we're back, coming. Man, would that be awesome or what? I, I don't think that's going to happen mm. personally, but mm. um, or it could be August. Yeah. Or it could be a year from now that yeah. we're thinking, man,
0: but that's but the that's unknown. Not, it is. Yeah. That's the hardest part for people. I think Absolutely, um, it is. I'm
3: I'm, I'm hoping looking on the bright side of this, I'm hoping this is a little bit of a reset for everybody just to slow down. I mean, just in general. And even, even if we come out the other side of it in a, in a, you know, doing okay and, and whatnot, just trying to take the time right now to, Spend time with family and spend time with kids, and and uh, yeah. you've got worries going on in the back of your head, and that's been one of the toughest things. That is is you like try to sit down. I told my wife the other like last night. I was everybody went to sleep, and I was trying to turn on one of the usual shows that I would watch on TV, and I couldn't watch it. I shut it off. I had to go find like a cartoon, literally, to watch because yeah. I'm like I I can't watch this right now. It's not it's not my head's not in the right spot. So I think we just you know you do your best. You you try to. You try to get through it, and I think the idea of slowing down in the one week at a time—that that did feel kind of good. About once we did say, "Hey, we're taking two weeks off. Um, we'll we'll try to figure this out." You know, we're still trying to figure it out with our staff, but we know we can we can make that work for two weeks, and then we'll go from there. And you know, maybe I need to start hoarding some Luma Pie so I can keep drops in my eyes, so I don't look like I'm freaking out all the time to my to my staff, but for uh, my kids. But uh, you know, well, I think, you just keep I think- trucking.
0: I think, um, in this, um, I, I'm actually, um, I'm pretty, uh, in all of the doom and gloom, I'm actually pretty bullish. That's right. Bulls go up, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm, I'm bullish on the, um, on this, the whole outcomes of, of the ability for us to adapt, as you've said, I -hmm. mean, just by having conversations with Cheryl, I mean, within literally a week, Mm -hmm. we've gone from not having any services telehealth wise to now like, I'm I'm thinking of all these different ways I've, I'm going to currently incorporate into our practice and, and future ways to incorporate it into our practice once everything quote unquote normalizes. And so like, I, I feel like all of you on the call or, you know, all of you on the, on the podcast tonight, I think uh, you know, I'm optimistic that that will be the case. You know, we'll get through all of this and we'll actually be stronger just like any, anything. Um, and so I mean Cheryl Cheryl, I think you certainly have been the um what do they call it? The canary in the coal mine for a lot of this stuff. <laughs> you know, so I, I certainly, you know, uh, it was a week ago that we had a conversation that was about this long and I just, you know, I still I, you know, I still just it's like it's just so weird. Um, but you know, very fortuitous that, that um that you were doing what you're doing and you saw you saw the writing on the wall and um it's been very helpful to me and I think Probably to you know Drew and 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 Kyle as well uh, okay. to have you out there doing what you're doing. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, what are your I last thoughts, Cheryl? Kyle, actually, Kyle, go ahead.
4: I, I was going to say that um, uh, this you know despite it all, as much as it is hard to see like the big picture, uh, hard to see what could be around the corner. Um, just like I said in an email. Recently, to you guys, to you all to the to the group is that um, we have to maintain our the mindset of our mission and our calling and our responsibility uh, as eye care providers, we know that uh, our type of practices are local uh, privately owned or you know independent optometry, um, or optometry in general that is the best mode of delivery for eye care to uh, to our communities, and I've kept that in mind as I've thought through this, is just thinking, okay, it is it is uh, my responsibility to do what I can to keep this ship afloat because my community needs it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, having that kind of mindset of perseverance and um, we'll do what it takes, and that also forces you, like you were saying, Chris, to be really creative. I'm, I'm like you as... Been thinking through this uh, telehealth, uh, these new avenues for practice growth. And man, we could use it here. We could use it there. We could use it for dry eye follow ups. We could use it for conduct lens follow ups. We could use it for, you know, and we could, man, we could really make our practices more efficient uh, with this new modality. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of opportunity on the other side. It's just a matter of uh, making really wise decisions to get through
0: it. Yeah. And, and like, and amen, you got to slow down down and make me deliberate yeah all right guys thanks for being on tonight i really appreciate it